VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's economic climate, it's very hard to know what to do with your money. Every financial move is a choice. Sometimes they are good choices, and you will reap the rewards of success. Sometimes there are bad choices, which can leave you in financial ruin if you make too many. Welcome to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. Our program will help you to make the good choices and avoid the bad. Now, here is Gordon Bennett. Hello, and how are you today? It is Friday afternoon, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, and we have just had a horrific week here on the East Coast. If you're listening to this uh, sometime in the future and it's a rebroadcast, I'm here to tell you that this Hurricane Sandy that came and visited us, it was awful. So it led me to believe that the thing I want to talk about today is preparedness. I don't think we need to talk about just emergency preparedness, but let's just talk about preparedness in general. You know, it's kind of interesting to look back when I first really was aware of the need to be prepared. And that was when I was living in Southern California, when the earthquake hit at 4.30 in the morning, 4.31 to be exact, My wife was out of town. I was home alone with my dogs. And I experienced the most violent thing I have ever experienced in my life. It was a Northridge earthquake. Two doors down, a house was totally destroyed. The chimney fell through the roof and landed one foot from the people sleeping in bed. In a few minutes, we were all gathered outside. It was pitch black. And we were trying to count all the neighbors and see who was there. And then the rest of the time, we were saying, wow, that's over, but we've now got to deal with the future. How many of us were prepared? Most of us weren't. I would have to tell you that we got prepared after the earthquake, and then we moved to the East Coast. So, yeah, I've been through some times in the past, and... Preparedness is something really worth talking about. So let's see. What do we mean by preparedness? Well, let's take your automobile. Do you have a spare tire? I bet you do. I bet most of the cars on the road in America today have a spare tire. And why? Because we know if one of the tires on the four corners of the car goes flat, we have a spare And when is the last time you used it? Tires have gotten better and better and better, and we still carry a spare tire because we don't want to put up with having uh, no way to replace one that's defective. Now, we have gotten to uh, run flat tires, so we don't need a spare, but we still have the equivalent there. 
thereof. So we did get prepared after the earthquake. We bought a camper, as a matter of fact. The truth is the past fades even though we know what we should be doing. The truth is the farther away from a natural disaster you get, the less you are likely to follow through on your promises that the next time this happens, I will be prepared. The Boy Scout motto is be prepared. But it's been a long time since I've been a Boy Scout, and it's been a long time since I've prepared. Um, I was in Florida three weeks ago. You know, the people down in Florida are really ready for a hurricane. They happen all the time. They have storm windows or covers that they put on things. They have emergency food. They have evacuation routes. They're all prepared. So I came back to my home in Philadelphia last week. We aren't prepared for a hurricane. (laughs) They're in Florida, aren't they? So uh, it was really interesting to watch what was uh, taking place in Florida. Let me look at it this way. What is the probability of an event happening? What is the probability of an event happening? Well, we're not going to have a snowstorm in Florida, and we're not going to have a hurricane in the Northwest. So if we have a low probability of something likely to happen, we don't do anything about it. It's just not going to happen. The probability of something going wrong is not to take care of it. Now, on the other hand, if the probability is very high, we get ready for it. The people in the Midwest, they get ready for tornadoes. In the upper Midwest, they get ready for snowstorms. In Florida, they get ready for hurricanes. So the farther south you go, the less prepared it becomes that people are ready for a snowstorm. We're lucky here in Philadelphia. We have snow plows and sand and equipment. We're far enough north that we are likely to get snow, and so we prepare for it. But if you go just 100 miles south in Baltimore, they don't have snow removal equipment because they don't think it's going to happen very often. Now there's a second dimension to this preparedness, and that is the consequence of the event happening. If the problem, if the consequence is low, let's not do anything about it. I mean, even if it's going to rain and we're going to have a picnic, we just don't have a picnic. The consequence of something going wrong is so insignificant, we just cope with it at the time. If the consequences are high, however, we may be prepared for it. But if you put two things together, consequences and probability, now we have a different way to look at things. If it's a high probability and a high consequences, we're likely to be ready for it. If it's a low probability and a high consequences, we may not be ready for it. I have an airplane. And one of the things I found out about airplanes is a lot of people are afraid to fly. But when I explain to them the engine In an airplane, in a single-engine airplane, the cylinder each has two spark plugs. It is one of two completely independent ignition systems. It has redundancy. The probability of one failing, 
very remote. The consequences if one of them fails, particularly if you're flying at night over the mountains, is really high. So one of the ways you deal with that is you build in some redundancy. Now, we were talking about the um, recency of an experience. Last year, a hurricane hit the northeast. My cousin's, my wife's cousin's husband, got that? My wife's cousin's husband, the family, were up in Connecticut, and they were without power for five days. They have two daughters. Being without power for five days is very, very inconvenient. So they promised this year that wasn't going to happen. They were going to get a generator for their house. They were going to get a generator. Then they got word that Hurricane Sandy was on its way a year later, and they still hadn't bought the generator. They called their daughter, who was at the time in Ohio, to see if she could get one. And as far away as they were, all of the generators were sold. They waited too long. So we know that we're human beings, and we just put off getting ready for our preparedness. But if we are not that way, if we are more likely to be prepared, what are some of the things we need to look at? Well, first of all, let's look at kinds of preparedness. Are we prepared for one day? Are we prepared for a week? Are we prepared for more than a week, for a month? So let's just discuss a day in a week. Let's assume you have to leave your home. Let's say you have a little bit of time or uh, maybe even no time at all to gather together some supplies to take care of yourself. What should we have? We should have some things right at the ready that we can instantly grab and go out the front door or the back door and take care of ourselves for that period of time, say, up to one week. Now, several years ago, I wrote a book, and the book was mainly about money. But in the book, I had an entire list of emergency preparedness. And oh, by the way, there is no shortage of lists. The Red Cross has them. They're probably in the newspaper you have. You can Google them. Or you can sit on the step and think them up yourself. But you need to do it. You need to get ready. Let's take the first thing. Food and water. What do you need to have? How much food do you need to have available to eat? What if you have to be out of your house? Will you be able to get that? Be very, very careful about eating food that is not uh, prepared uh, before your very eyes, so to speak. Food that somebody gives you or water that somebody gives you or water that you can get from a creek is probably not safe. So your first consideration for food and water is, is it safe? If you have to leave your house, you're probably going to go have to go somewhere where there is food. But if you take a container with some food and some water away from your home, you should have a gallon of water a day, and you should have food that can be opened, like in a can or something like that. You don't want to clean out your freezer before you go, because you probably will lose it all. <clears throat> if you put that food in a a big bin, like a big uh, safe bin, you should put a pull date on it. I know some people keep food, and you can buy food that lasts for 25 years. 
I think we had some of that when I was in the Army. But if you just buy stuff at the grocery store and maybe rotate it every three months or rotate it every six months, you're probably going to be okay. Water is another thing. You can have containers full of water, a case of water, a big bottle of water, but if you have to scrounge water, be very, very careful. Now, I have a water purification kit. I have that blue pen. We have uh, tablets that we drop in water. We have filters. Now, the filters can only take certain things out of the water. If that water is mixed with gasoline, you're still not going to get it out and make it potable, as they say. So be very careful about that. Next thing, health and safety. You're going to have to be very, very concerned if you are on any medications. You may be able to get a week's supply uh, saved up. I know it's very difficult to buy medications today because of the prescription refilling time. But if you take your prescriptions and maybe have a one-week uh, pill caddy, these little containers that hold just an, a day's worth or a periodic uh, supply of pills and keep that with your emergency kit, be sure to purge it every three months or four months or rotate it so that you're not likely uh, to take expired medication. Medication is probably more important than food and water. You have to have food and water. Well, you probably need water after about a day, depending on the place you live and the climate and the time of year. But figure that you'll need water soon, and you can go without food for several days and not have any uh, ill effects. Not so with medication. If you're on a regimen of some medication, you better have an absolute supply of it that you can take with you. That brings us to another thing besides medication. How you fix for a place to live. You need some shelter. If it's winter time, you're going to have to stay warm. If you have a shed on the property, you can stay in the shed, but you're still going to have to stay warm. Shelter is a, near the top of the list. Food, water, health, and shelter is very, very important. You need shelter right away. You need to be away from the rain because you can get hypothermia, uh, and it doesn't take very much for you to uh, really, really suffer from there. So... Uh, don't forget to put some flashlights in that shelter. You can't see in the dark, at least I can't see very well. So I have extra batteries. I have extra flashlights. I have some of these flashlights that you wind. And as you turn the little generator, they're good forever. And uh, they don't get uh, dated, such as batteries. You can put battery, new batteries in a flashlight and find out the batteries are old. So there are a couple of three things uh, that you need to do and take care of. And when we come back the next uh, period of time, we'll talk about a couple more ideas. And then I want to talk to you about a, uh, not emergency preparedness, but just a preparedness in general that every family should look at. So this is Gordon Bennett talking to you on money, jobs, health, and other issues of life. We have no guests today, so you'll have to put up with me. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk about this preparedness some more.
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. What's really going on in Washington? Listen as two of Washington's most experienced insiders, Howard Marlowe and Michael Willis, divulge the strategies of the key players affecting legislation and policy matters every week on The Inner Loop. Unlike most talk shows, which feature hosts that have little to no experience working with the federal government, The Inner Loop is hosted by two professionals who actively work to influence federal policy on a daily basis. The Inner Loop is heard live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hello and welcome back to the program. This is Gordon Bennett with uh, Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life. We're talking today without a guest, so don't call in and expect to talk to the guest, but you can talk to me. Um, we're in the uh, talking about preparedness. And uh, by the way, I want to make another comment about generators. Generators can be very helpful things, but they can be very dangerous. And there's two things I want to warn you about. If you decide to get a generator to hook up to your house, you probably need to get a professional electrician to put in an extra panel that can be cut in or transferred to before you plug the generator in. You see, you may have a lot of amperage coming into your house, and when you put the generator on, it may be of lesser power than you get from the city itself. And if you put too little power on the demands of the house, you have a possibility of blowing out these small fractional horsepower motors or the electronic controls in your refrigerator or anything like that. So you have to probably get a professional electrician if you plan to plug into the house panel. Now, on the other hand, if you get a generator where you just use an extension cord, you can plug in a refrigerator or you can plug in a, a microwave oven or do something that is within the power of the generator and you're probably okay. The second thing that you really have to be careful of, because of every year somebody dies of this, carbon monoxide. The generator is not designed to be used in the house. So if you got a rainstorm and a lot of... Uh, Water coming out of the sky, you've got to have some place to put the generator where it's protected, but you don't want it inside of the house or you suffer there, you 
uh, stand the risk of suffering from carbon monoxide poisoning. And let's face it, death from that is very permanent. So what are some of the other things that you need? Well, let's see. You need a way to communicate. Um, a lot of people found that their cell phones are really wonderful if they're charged, but when the batteries are run down, how are you going to charge them? Or maybe the cell phone network will be down. How are you going to get around is another thing. You should have some sort of a way to communicate with each other where you meet. This one's a big one. Do you have some spare cash? How much? You should have a couple hundred dollars in cash at home, in small bills and in change. It is likely that the ATMs will be down if the power is down. You will not be able to go to the grocery store without money. The cash registers won't work. There, You simply have to have some cash to do everyday business. Now we can get into some more esoteric stuff. For example, you need some documents, particularly if you're going to be a long time away. You're going to need the appropriate clothing, depending on how far the disaster reaches. Here on the East Coast, this Hurricane Sandy covered thousands of miles. There's no place to get some of the things you need. You have to have enough clothing because the the disaster is widespread. It is huge in magnitude. It is covering a large area, and it will be a long time getting back to normal. All of those things, if it's a small disaster, what's a small disaster? Um, if it's a smaller disaster, you may need less clothing, but be prepared for the worst of situations. And let's face it, you got to get close to this stuff. You can't have it all over the house. You can't have it in the attic or maybe in the basement. It needs to be someplace in some kind of a container that you can access it immediately. Now, the next thing I want to mention is you have to have some tools and supplies. You ought to have a screwdriver because that opens everything. But decide for yourself what kind of tools you want to have. A pair of pliers, a screwdriver. Um, you obviously don't want any electrical appliances like an electric grill, but enough tools like shutting off the gas main or um, pulling nails out of things. All of those things have to be in a toolkit. So you can see that you get a pretty good-sized preparedness kit, and it takes a while to assemble it. But many times, you just don't have time to fix it before um, you need it. Let me switch gears a little bit. I talked about preparing for a disaster. What about preparing for ordinary things? Incidentally, you can buy my book. Uh, it's called Give Yourself a Raise, How to Live Better. Uh, you can get it on my website, www w.ptff, ptff, that's path to financial freedom, dot net, or you can get it at Amazon. The full title is Give Yourself a Raise, How to Have More Money, Less Stress, and Financial Freedom. But you don't need to buy the book. You can get the emergency kind of list all kind of places. But last period I covered, or started covering the things that were a result of the natural disaster we had. Recently, I bought from Kiplinger a booklet called Business Forecasts uh, as a Family Organizer, Business Forecasts and Personal Advice Section of Kiplinger, 
puts out this 60-page booklet. It's like a magazine. And I admit that I haven't done all of the things that the magazine talks about, but let me just give you an idea, just give you a smattering in the minutes remaining in this section that I think it is really worth your while that you've got to sit down and take stock of what you have and where it is to be prepared for anything. You don't need an emergency to be prepared. You just need to be less cluttered than I am. For example, we open the first page. First things first. Who do you want to call? There were four people we wanted to call when we were in the hurricane, and we had to go look up their phone numbers in all different places. They should be in one place. The name of your bank. Now, this is assuming a disaster or assuming just routine things. What is a single place where you can get all of your banks? Maybe you have more than one bank. Maybe there's a husband and wife bank. Maybe you have a, a savings account and then a checking account and then a, uh, a money market account. All those things have, need to be in this book. They can. You, there's just a place to put them. The, the number, uh, the location, and where the bank is. If you have a loan, if you have a credit card. And oh, by the way, where have you hidden the password to be able to get into the account electronically? I am always looking for my passwords. Now, this is a kind of a Hobson's choice. If you tell somebody your password, then you're not secure. If you don't tell them, you're so secure that they can't get to it when they need it. You've got to figure out some way to have your passwords available to people who have a right to use your accounts. Um, your investments are listed and your insurance policies for your car, for your home. All of those things should be in, uh, listed in here. I would go a step farther. I would get those things when I'm listing them in this booklet I would get the policy out. Let's take the automobile policy. I would get the policy out. I would also get the uh, titles or the loans that have to do with the car. I would make a copy of them, and I would make a backup copy of all the documents for each of the things that are covered in the book. Remember, the book is 60 pages long, but it's really pretty simple because they're grouped together in uh, certain things. This contact information uh, for example, if you've got a big extended family, you might need to make a couple extra pages. By the way, you can get this on a CD as well. Let me give you Kiplinger's number. You can call Kiplinger at 800-234-6064. Let me repeat that. Kiplinger, 800-234-6064. You can get that book at a very reasonable price. And it certainly is worth your while to have everything organized and in one place. But if you've got an extended family, you can make a couple extra copies. How about your doctor? Where's your doctor's phone number? Or if you've been to see a specialist, you've got his card and an appointment slip, but let's see, you haven't put it in your address book yet. And then there were two specialists. Where is that information? How about your uh, clergymen, if you're going to want to call on them, where do you find their phone number? Or your attorney, or your CPA, or anybody else. 
this does not have any room for what I consider to be the most important person in your life. You're a plumber. But you can have your electrician or anybody else all in one place. Your employer, your supervisor. Do you have an insurance agent? Do you have a financial planner? All of these contacts need to be in one place. I was listening to the radio last night, and Bill O'Reilly, his tip of the day was get a small notebook. You can't have this information in electronic form, and then you get out of power or you're out of batteries. Somewhere it's got to be written down, and it would really be a good thing to do in this book. Another page in this book, emergency information. What's your social security number? What's your driver's license? What about your passport? Do you have a will? Where is it? That emergency information needs to be in there. The book also has a page for your emergency preparedness kit. We talked about that, but it has a nice list on three-day supply of non-perishable foods. Um, What about a first aid kit? What if you hurt yourself? Where are you going to turn to? What's going to be in, in the next thing? The toolkit. There's a page, nothing except tools, things that you want to have at the ready. I've added two things to that list already that I know I want. One is called duct tape. A roll of duct tape can do an awful lot of good when you're hurting. So you maybe want a duct tape roll. You can even get small rolls of duct tape from these travel companies and have that with you. The second thing I would have is rubber bands in various sizes. Rubber bands can hold a whole lot together, which brings me to maybe safety pins are a good idea as well. That's that's the third thing. If you have a disability, of course, you have thought about that in some fine detail. Uh, memorabilia, what sorts of things do you really want to keep and cherish for a long time? Where are they? Are they? How do other people know that you want them? I hate to mention it, but you need your funeral arrangements in this book. If you don't have any, at least say none uh, at this time. The same with insurance policies and investment uh, items. Where is your stock account? How much stock do you have? Maybe you have several accounts. That's another thing. I could go on and on and on on what this book does, but the most important thing, you've got to pull together all of the information in one place so that the time it takes you to get the vital statistics on your life together is a bare minimum. It might take you an hour or two to put the book together, but if you ever need this kind of information, let me tell you, it will be invaluable. And it will even be more invaluable if somebody else needs this information. So, I know you're all going to promise to do it. There's some, oh, I haven't even talked about the kids. What happens? Where do they go to school? Who picks them up? What happens if you're away? What happens if something happens to you? That's another thing that needs to be inside of there. Your home records, your real estate records, it goes on and on. Well, this is Gordon Bennett talking to you from the show 
money, jobs, health, and other things of life. And I will be right back with you to bring up another kind of preparedness that is preparing for retirement after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Good afternoon and welcome back to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things in Life. We're talking about preparedness. The first section we talked about emergency preparedness, those things that you need for grab and go if something disastrous is about to happen to you. The second segment I've talked about is a little more routine. What you need to do to assemble all of the things in your life uh, that are valuable so that somebody else or yourself can put your hands on them in an instant and they're not scattered all over the house. And I must admit, mine are scattered all over the house, but I am working on getting them in tune with the book from Kiplinger's. The other thing I wanted to mention to you, if you are listening to this as an archived show, you will not be able to call in because, uh, well, it's an archived show, and I'm either somewhere else or in bed or doing something, and the shows are uh, very useful at other times. So there's no guess or call in if this is an archived show. We l- normally broadcast at 4 o'clock on Friday afternoons, and that's Eastern Time. And if you figure out how this Daylight Savings Time works, let me know. Now, in this segment, I want to talk about preparing for retirement. Preparing for retirement. Let's see, I'm 18 years old and I need to prepare for retirement? Well, um, yeah, that's right. So we'll talk about that. First rule of preparing for retirement. 
Get it out of your mind. Stop thinking that anybody, anybody, anywhere in the world can predict the future. Nobody, I mean nobody, has the faintest idea what's going to happen in 10 years. It gets better as you get closer, like is it going to rain tomorrow? But mostly we cannot predict the future. I went to an investment seminar in Florida a couple of years ago, and I listened to presentation after presentation after presentation. And when I was flying home, I realized that I had listened to three days of presentations on forecasting the future, how to read tea leaves, and nobody does it better than anybody else. In fact, one newsletter there had uh, checked out newsletters, and he said, don't subscribe to newsletters because all of them are wrong sometimes. I like the old expression about economists. They spend 50% of their time forecasting the future and 50% of their time forecasting why the last forecast was wrong. So nobody can forecast the future. Let me give you an example. Who would have predicted that a company as solid and part of the American life as Kodak would be on the verge of disappearing? Kodak, a venerable old company. Everybody had a brownie camera or the later editions of it, and we always believed that's what you'd take pictures with. So what do we take pictures with today? Our telephone. Who would have believed that Kodak would be gone and our telephone would replace it? You can't even imagine what is coming in our lifetime. So you've got to prepare for retirement right now, knowing full well that it might be wrong. But some things are not wrong. The first thing is starting very young. Compound interest, and we're, this is sort of, I don't know whether to talk about investing or preparing. This is more about preparing, but it sort of leaves the pathway to investing for the future because uh, a lot of the preparedness is taking advantage of the uh, investing truce. The first principle of investing is start when you're young. I have never met a man 55 years old who said, I wish I'd waited. He wishes he'd started sooner. You will never meet a man over 40 or certainly over 50 or a woman over those ages that will say, I shouldn't have been starting as soon as I did to prepare for the future. So that's one rule. The second rule is you want to continuously estimate what expenses are going to be in the future. Are you going to make more money? Are you going to make less money? You can count on a raise, but it never comes. You can change your careers. You can get fired. You can buy something expensive that's beyond your means. But you should always estimate your expenses. How about your bills? You're going to bet you're going to have fewer bills in the future. If I were making what I made my first job now and paying the bills I pay now, just say for groceries and ordinary things, I'd be hurting. Things are all affected by inflation. It costs more in the future. And you should regularly say, let's look at gasoline. Four years ago, it was less than $2. Now it's almost $4. 
when you're ready to retire, how much is it going to be? You have to make some sort of an estimate about what you're going to have in the future, how much things are going to cost. The sooner you start, the better off you are. Let's say you need $50,000 today's money. Then estimate an inflation factor. How long is it going to take you to uh, be able to accumulate enough money to live at that rate? It may be that inflation takes a uh, a lot out of your future. Maybe it will be up to 75000 when you retire. It will even be higher than that or lower than that. Now, let's talk about some formulas. Let me give you an idea, and you really need to do this. You can go on the Internet or you can buy yourself an inexpensive financial calculator that will take interest, payments, present value, future value, and will solve for all sorts of factors in that equation. Let's take an example in being prepared, and that is how much do you have to save. Let's suppose you can save $500 a month, and you have to uh, read my second book to know how to do that. But let's say you can save 500 a month, and you expect interest will be 3%. And you're in a position that you will work 30 more years. That puts you at 35. You're going to work 30. How much money will you have? You can save 500 a month. You expect 3% return on all that money. You'll work for 30 more years. You'll have $292,000. That's all $292,000. Now, if rates go up or you save more or you work less, that will change. You need to do simulations. How much you need if you take the, uh, let's say it takes $75,000 a year and you're going to live 20 years, how much money does that take? We'll get to that in a minute. So that gives you example number two. Example number two, let's suppose you want a million dollars. You decided you wanted to have a million dollars before you retire and you're ready to start right now. How much you need to save? Well, let's assume that you make 5% on your money. And let's suppose you're going to work for 30 years and you're going to make 3%. Okay? You want a million dollars. You're going to make 5%. You're going to work 30 more years. You need to save $14,335 a year or $1,195 a month. That is not a lot of money in today's dollars, but that's how much you have to save for 30 years to reach your goal of a million dollars. See, you can do all of this with one of those little calculators, or you can do it online most places. There's a... A lot of annuity figuring, compounding computers, and you just plug in these same numbers, and you can assume how much you'll spend and all that, and it gives you the right answer. Let's take example number three. You retire. You made your million dollars. You save your money. You've done without. You've got a million dollars. But up uh, by the time you retired, you need $70,000 a year to live on with inflation and stuff like that. But that million dollars is going to make 4%. Well, if you only take the 4% out of it, you'll only have $40,000 a year. But you assume that you're going to live longer than that. The question is, if you invade that entire million dollars, if you spend spend that down 
and spend your 4% down, how long is it going to last? About 21 and a half years. You see, you can take any one of these variable numbers and make your assumptions on it, and then you are prepared in advance to know what you have to do. You're prepared in advance to know what you have to do. Before the break, let me give you one more example. Let's suppose I have $750,000, and I expect to live 15 more years. And my investment's going to earn like 5%. I'm being very generous at this Time, it's hard to find any interest at all, particularly if it's really safe. But if you take a lot of risk, maybe you can get 5%. So then the question is, how much can I take out? Well, if it makes 5%, we have $750,000 and you're going to live 15 years. You'll use it all up. How much can you take out? You can take out 68800 a year or 5700 a month. If you've checked the price of retirement homes lately, $5,700 doesn't go very far. If you only make 3% on that same nest egg of $750,000, you'll make only $61,000 that you can take out and use it all up, or $5,083 a month. So you can see that being prepared for retirement, first of all, is finding out how much you need, or how much you have to save, or what you're going to do with it, and make the simulations, then you'll be prepared when it comes time to retire and not be like that 55-year-old man who said he waited too long to start saving money. I'll be back with you right after this last break. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life, and your host is Gordon Bennett. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network what does a visual workplace mean to you how does it contribute to operational excellence and what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place listen to the visual workplace work that makes sense to find out Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. 
To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, everybody. This is Gordon Bennett, back with you again for the last segment of our show today. We've talked about being prepared. The Boy Scouts will love us. Be prepared. You know, we all talk about it, and sometimes we are and sometimes we aren't. I've heard it said a lot of times. I wasn't prepared for that. But are you prepared for the things you need to be prepared for? So in this last portion of the show, like to get away from that just a little bit and talk to something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, as you know, my name is Gordon Bennett. I was a banker. Uh, I'm retired now. Uh, I have a master's degree in finance, and I've been messing around with money all my life. And I have come to the conclusion that the best thing I ever did was to hire a personal financial advisor. I became an advocate of personal financial advisors several years ago when I realized that with all of my education and with the time I've spent in finance, things have gotten so complicated that I could not do everything myself. Oh, I can do a lot myself. But let's face it. I went to college. That cost me a bundle. I went to graduate school. That cost me another bundle. I spent the first 17 years of my life, 18 years of my life, spending money to learn how to have a job. To learn how to have a job. I learned a skill, I learned a trade, or I learned something that I could sell my services, my most valuable asset, me, to somebody else for a paycheck. And I got a job. I got several jobs. I've had several jobs in my life, and people paid me well. But you know, I didn't spend a nickel on how to spend that money wisely. And then I realized, you know, we spend several hundred dollars for an iPhone. We spend even more for an iPad or a new pair of shoes. We spend money for a lot of things that don't do us a lot of good beyond their single-purpose life. And when it comes to taking care of our money, I am a great advocate for everyone having a personal financial planner. There are two kinds of financial planners. There are people who make a commission selling you a financial product. They are stockbrokers. They are insurance salesmen. Uh, they are various and sundry other people whose income comes from uh, a commission on what they sell you. There's nothing wrong with that. But you should know how they are being paid. If you have a estate plan or a man calls himself an estate planner and he is also an insurance broker for a life insurance company, you can be pretty certain that some of your estate plan is going to involve life insurance because that's the only way he gets paid. Similarly, a stockbroker, he can give you a very good estate plan. They can be very fine people, but they have a bias because they get a commission on it. And if you mix that commission with their advice, they may have what we call a churning mentality. 
You need to buy and sell because that's how they make their living. I don't have any quarrel with that, so long as you know that's what they're doing. You always ask the first question is, how are you getting paid? Now we get to fee-paid-only financial planners. And a lot of people are very reluctant to hire a fee-paid planner. And for the life of me, I can't imagine. And by the way, I am not a fee-paid planner. So uh, I'm not touting for myself here. I have nothing to sell. But for the life of me, the money I have spent for financial planning and the horror stories I have seen of people who have done things on their own that seemed logical, seemed knowledgeable, but was dead wrong, is very, very expensive. Now, the fee-paid advisors fall into two basic categories. There are those that manage a portfolio of investments for a percent of the amount. That's usually over a million dollars. You can make a 1% or a half a percent on a large pool of money, and you're paid in that manner. Or you can be like a CPA or lawyer, you're paid by the hour. And I would suggest that you start out with an hourly consultation with a certified financial planner and just ask him one question. What do you think you can do for me? What do you think you can do for me? Maybe you don't like that answer. Maybe you go find another one. You can look up certified financial planners on the Internet, and it tells you how to shop for one. But if you get one that you like, they become your friend. They know your lifestyle. They know your circumstances. They can help you steer you away from enormously costly mistakes. The other day I went on the Internet, and I looked up the Certified Financial Planners Board to see what these people have to do before they can become a certified financial planner. And oh, by the way, there are several other designations that are equally as good as that. They will argue that one is better than the other, but it may be your attorney. It may be your accountant. Uh, it's probably not your brother-in-law or the guy sitting next to you in the bar who has the latest hot tip on a stock who doesn't know about some of these things. But I picked up the uh, my iPad and I searched on the Internet and I discovered there are 78 topics, 78, 78 separate individual topics that each of those certified planners is tested in and has to know about and has to be continuing uh, to study in before he can carry that title to him. Let me just give you a couple of them. The function, purpose, and regulation of financial institutions. Economic concepts. The time value of money. Business law. Consumer protections law. Business law, I would say uh, consumer law is uh, more important than that as far as most people are concerned. Insurance. Principles of risk. Long-term care. How does an annuity work? Business uses of insurance. Characteristic uses of taxation investment vehicles. Types of risk. Asset allocation and portfolio diversification. Strategies. Tax compliance. 
These are just a few of the 78 separate individual things they have to study and know about. Now, I could list that over and over again, but you get the idea. There are a lot of things they know that you can't possibly know about. There are mistakes you can make you can't possibly know about until it's too late. So do yourself a favor. Find a certified financial planner or a financial planner who works for a fee-only basis and let him get knowledgeable about you and your affairs and see how he can help you. It's money well spent, I assure you. Now, they have some biases, of course. They will have biases one way or the other. This is where the fundamental of educating yourself comes in. Don't give up everything to them without knowing something about your own goals. This is Gordon Bennett. I'm signing off for the day. It went very rapidly. Uh, we talked about preparedness and a lot of different ways to be prepared. And we will see you right back here next week on the Voice America Business Network, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is Gordon Bennett saying goodbye. Thank you for listening to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life. Please join your host, Gordon Bennett, again next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, are you going to make a bad choice or a great choice with your money? Come back next week for more. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.